What's up, Internet? You're tuned in to episode 231 of The Comics Pals, where a group of comic book journalists and friends get together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. Well, it's Invincible Week, and uh, you know that Pete's the most excited person in the room, so with no Sean here, we figured let's give him the horse and he can drag us behind him. It's like, hey, you know, Pete, uh, you have had to host more things for the Comics Pals in this week than you ever, ever had. Why don't you do this extra episode that has nothing to do with Invincible while you're riding high? That's right. Yeah, we thought, you know what, you like Icarus, you'll be soaring, and you definitely won't have your wax wings melted off. <laughs> I'll fly right outside the atmosphere, pass out a little bit, and then wake up right before I hit the ground. So, uh yeah, I think I think I'll nail that one. So yeah, uh, as you can see, uh, Sean, the regular captain of our ship here, is away this week uh, for a, a much needed break. So I am holding down the fort with Phil and Kale. So yep, really scraping the bottom of the barrel this week, but we're gonna be all right. I promise. We've got. Please good don't stories. turn off the episode. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of good news, so you're gonna want to stick around, even though we don't have Sean and Marco. I promise. But there's a lot of bad opinions even because we don't have Sean and Marco. So you might just go ahead and turn it off. No, no, well, no we have good opinions because they're not here. Here's the thing, though, Kale, right? L let them get to the point where you throw out an opinion that they're so angry about that they consider turning off the show. And then I want them to just go to the comments and lambast you. Don't but actually. Listen, how, how long is that going to take? Like, I don't want to waste <laughs> that time. <laughs> we get to the first segment. We're already down the train, you know? <laughs> better get going, I guess. <laughs> Well, uh, speaking of getting going, before we do that, let me tell you real quick where you can find the Comics Pals all across the web. Uh, Sean is usually a lot better at this part than I am, and I didn't write down what he says, so bear with me. Uh, we are the Comics Pals, the weekly comic book podcast where we talk about all things going on in the world of comics. You can get it every Monday morning, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we're there. All the time. Uh, and plus, you know, we've got a bunch of extra content these days. We've been throwing out our comic book reviews on Sundays. We've got We Watch uh, for both Falcon, Winter Soldier, and Invincible going up on Fridays and Saturdays. We Basically, we're getting four days of content in a row for you guys now these days. We're all over the place. So, you know, I hope you'll come and check it out. Come be a part of it. Uh, we've done a lot of specials in the last couple week, weeks. We did our Snyder Cut review. We did our Snyder Cut watch along where you can watch us suffer through all four hours of that goddamn movie. We've got our Invincible <laughs> Book Club that I hosted coming out tomorrow, as well as a huge swath of other amazing book clubs. You know, whatever your favorite book is, we've probably read one of them. Um, so go check it out. That is our Comics Pals challenge to you to go check out the book club. Uh, and of course, if you want to be a part of the Invincible Book Club that drops tomorrow, we read issues 0 to 35. Um, you only got a day to prep now, but uh, hey, the beauty of video on demand, you can listen to it whenever. So check that out. Come be a part of all the cool stuff we've got going on and check out all the other shows that we published this week. Uh, and if you haven't yet, check out last week's uh, episode where, Phil, why don't you talk about the very special guest that we had real quick? That's right. We had a guest that put butts in seats. Who else could I be talking about other than AEW color commentator Tony Schiavone, the wrestling legend formerly from WCW. He joined us to talk about his new comic book that he's working on with Dirk Manning called Butts and Seats. It's kind of an autobiographical book. And we had a nice hour-long conversation where Tony kind of talked about his career, talked about the book, and frankly, he took it away. It was fantastic. It's one of our best interviews ever. Please do yourselves a favor if you love wrestling. Go check it out. And now I'm going to take the control back away from you. Thank you for that. Uh, Hold so on. I'm going to take it real quick. Oh, okay. And I'm going to break it. Because speaking of wrestling, I'm going to break kayfabe here. Whoa. I don't um, 
I don't listen to our show. <laughs> um, <laughs> I did genuinely listen to that interview and had a really good time. I don't know who that guy is, um, <laughs> but I was I was even able to um, pass the interview along to uh, family members who who listen who watch wrestling. I guess they they probably listen to it as well, but um, and they really enjoyed it. So definitely worth worth your time. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, from- terrific yeah definitely check it out check out all the cool stuff we've we've been having going on um we've been really churning out a lot of cool content lately um that i'm super proud of so i hope you guys will go and check all that fun stuff out give us a like share subscribe wherever you get it and uh make sure you write in and let us know what you're thinking about everything we've had going on spring is sprung and so have the comics fouls of course uh so speaking of springing and spranging let's spring into our next uh segment here called pals pulls where we talk about the uh books we've got on our uh, radar this week. Uh, Kale, you're nice. making all kinds of dumb faces. Why don't you go first? <laughs> That's just okay. his face. Oh, Sean says the book, right? Okay, so uh, Kale has Power Rangers <laughs> Unlimited, Heir to Darkness, number one. <laughs> so this <laughs> seems to be the um, the untold story of Astronema and how she went from being Caron, uh, Andros's sister from Power Rangers in Space, and the Pink Ranger in Power Rangers Lost Galaxy. She was before that. She was evil queen, evil space queen, Astronema. Easily the most popular villain, uh, probably outside of Rita Repulsa in Power Rangers lore. Um, this is her untold origin and how she became Astronema. And normally I wouldn't go for this kind of a thing, but Astronema is uh, such a cool character that. Um, I got to do it. She's your waifu. She is my waifu. <laughs> I always say if she can break my neck, I'm in love with her. Sounds about right. And listen to WandaVision. We watch Wanda- WandaVision where Kale's wife is where, on the show with where, us. Where Jess does it for seven weeks in a row. <laughs> <laughs> it was just Jess. That's what we found out. Uh, so also on your list, you had Beta Ray Bill number one. This is a new Beta Ray Bill series uh, from Daniel Warren Johnson. Oh, cool. Uh, who did Wonder Woman, Dead Earth, and Murder Falcon uh, with Image. Um, so by that alone, I have no idea what the rest of the series is about, but um, it's Daniel Warren Johnson, so it's going to be rad as hell. Nice. I wonder, um, Beta Ray Bill feels like a character that's like... Oh, you dig him, I think, Pete. Yeah. I feel like he's primed for, like, a... A comeback. A, yeah. I was going to say a come up, but yeah, maybe that's more appropriate. I, um, I feel like you often hear people on the internet when they you know talk about things they want in the MCU or whatever. Uh, Beta Ray Bill is always on the top, top of the list. Top of the list, yeah. Yeah. I remember... Yeah, um, I, go ahead. I, I would love to see the return of the Thor core. I remember when they showed, um, it was in, uh, uh, Ragnarok at the Coliseum and there was like the built that, that big tower and it had all these yeah. aliens faces carved in and there was somebody from Beta Ray Bill's species, whether it was him or not, you know, yeah. probably not. Yeah. I, I recall that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I remember seeing that. I was like, oh man, that would be pretty cool. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know much about the character, but, um, He's Thor, but he's got a horse face. Yeah, I mean, like that's pretty sweet. <laughs> he's, a, he's a cool champion of uh, a race of horse people, and uh, Odin's like, you're so worthy, I'm going to make you your own damn hammer. He's like, you know the Aquaman from Batman Brave and the Bold? Yeah. yeah he's like yeah, that, yeah. but he has a horse face. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, he, and he's Thor. 
horse Thor. I like it. Uh, and then uh, Phil and I both had X-Men number 19. Yeah, Pete. We uh, got to follow up the Vault in Ecuador issue that came out last month. Mm. Uh, I, who knows where that's going to go? I feel like we all had kind of uh, mixed reviews on that. But, you know, we got Jonathan Hickman back. We have uh, Mamed Asrar doing art and uh, Sunny Go doing the colors. Uh, it's been a little up and down for me the last couple months coming out of uh, Ten of Swords. But I like the last two issues quite a bit. Yeah, that's where I'm at pretty much. Like, I was kind of feeling the lull post-Swords, because obviously that event, you know, none of us really were, were super into it, and yeah, that's another way to put it. <laughs> and uh, having having the few issues in the aftermath, like, feel like they're just tying up loose ends, or, or that kind of stuff has been a little bit frustrating, so getting to uh, 18, and getting to, you know, go back to the vault, and really start, you know, figuring out what happened there and what are the implications of, of that journey um, yeah. is something I'm super excited to see resolved. So Yeah, and, and frankly, I'm okay just locking up Ten of Swords in the vault, so to speak. Yeah. The Disney vault. Happy to leave that in the rear view. <laughs> Maybe it'll age better with wine. Like wine. With, with wine, wine, actually. <laughs> with wine. I think it would definitely age better with wine. I think that could that's safe to say. <laughs> Murphy, let us know. Yeah, you let us know. All right, so let's jump into the news. Um, first item on the list this week, um, it's the latest update in the seemingly never-ending saga of Black Widow. Uh, so Black Widow, which has been pushed now an entire year um, inadvertently, uh, is coming out on May 7th on Disney+. Plus. Um, so it's going to be uh, simultaneously released in theaters. So if there are... Kale, you're making a face. What's up? Well, wasn't it July 9th? July 9th was the original date. It's now been postponed again. Oh, no. Sorry. Pushed forward? Pushed up. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I meant to say. It's been undelayed, I suppose you could say. So, okay. So, they said July 9th was when they would put it in theaters, but now they moved it up to May, this upcoming May. I need to I need to double check that because now that you say that, that sounds insane. Right? It does to me. Because it says right here, right? Notably, Black Widow and Cruella will premiere... And this is from the Hollywood... Or from Variety, excuse me. Um, will premiere on Disney Plus at the same time they open in theaters. Cruella is arriving on May 28th and Black Widow has been pushed... Sorry, it has been pushed back and will now debut on July 9th instead oh. of May 7th. So that was where okay. we were, were screwed okay. up, Kale. It was originally May 7th. Now it's July 9th. Okay, cool. So pushed back two months uh, and it's going to be simultaneously released in theaters, but it's also going to be on... Uh, Disney Plus's premiere uh, access, which was the same thing they did with Mulan, where it comes with that yeah. thirty dollars rental fee. Oof. Um, and then at attached to that, also of course, um, Shang Chi, <clears throat> right, was originally set for um, July, is now being pushed back to September. Mm. Okay, so that got the bump. Um, and according to to Variety, that's expected to have a traditional theatrical release and will not be released on Disney Plus at least as per right now you know so um this is it, it's been an interesting story right like black widow has been kind of like the poster child i feel like for for the film industry's you know kind of woes during covid and you know how how much has been pushed back or you know held or delayed or you know is having to explore these kind of like alternate um release strategies and and i guess what I wanted to ask you guys is, 
Are you surprised by this move considering how close it seems we are to movie theaters starting to become a more viable option for folks again? I think this is a reasonable precaution they're taking. I bet the mindset is that even though hopefully most of the country will be vaccinated by that was a May 9th originally, May 27th, I think, uh, there's a good chance that a majority of the country will be vaccinated by the end of May. But I think Disney's thinking that people will still feel a little precautious. And pushing it back to the beginning of July, I think more people will be more reasonably comfortable to actually go see a movie in theaters. And I think historically speaking, July is a better movie month than May anyway. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, obviously, right, the summer blockbuster and everything, you got to imagine people will be eager to get back to the the theaters at that point. And And another angle is everyone's starting to go buck wild now. Anyway, you see the shit that's happening in Miami? (laughs) Like, yeah. It's yeah. people are popping off because of being stuck inside for a year. You know, if you if you push it back a little, maybe people will settle down and go see a movie. <laughs> it's I guess it's interesting to me less that they would push it back to July and more that they're pushing it back and still doing the simul release on Disney Plus. You know, I just I think that was always going to happen. I think I, I frankly, game. yeah. Well, with yeah, yeah. I uh, frankly, I'm surprised they've let it sit this long. Yeah, like why wouldn't you just do it earlier then? Yeah, well, I think again they really want to release it in theaters. Yeah, like, so and in theaters that people go to see it. I, for, for I don't know if these companies have found the right balance for maximizing profit off releasing new films on streaming services. I, I imagine that's something that they're still tinkering with, trying to like mm. find a way to get people to spend the most money so that they see these things. I, I don't think that usurps the classic, uh, you know, theater model that's been in place for a long time no. now. It's interesting. I have a a, a quote here from uh, Kareem Daniel, who's the chairman of Disney Media and Entertainment uh, Distribution, and he said that the announcement quote reflects our focus on providing consumer choice and serving the evolving preferences of audiences by leveraging a, fl- a flexible distribution strategy in a dynamic marketplace that is beginning to recover from the global pandemic. We'll continue to employ the best options to deliver the you know unparalleled storytelling. Blah 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 blah. And it's just interesting, right? Because like uh, alongside this, there's you have the news like Cruella is doing the same thing, right? Yeah. But then like Pixar's movie Luca that's coming out on June 18th, that's coming to Disney Plus with no extra cost. Which it's like interesting, like yeah. where they're making those. Like in what universe are Pixar movies not uh, a premium product you'd pay money for, right? So it's yeah. it's interesting to just see how random how the strategy. Have Scar- how many of those have Scarlett Johansson as a uh- as a lead. Yeah, that's true too. Right. Where right. it's like that, that could have been a, a, a part of her contract. Right. Cause a lot of actors get a percentage of like take at the box office and stuff like that. And, yeah. And if there's no box office, how are you going to, how are you going to pay him? Right. Yeah. Any, I mean, any given year, Scarlett Johansson's a top three gro- uh, grossing actor in Hollywood. Yep. And, uh, yep. uh, the, you're right, Pete. Pixar movies in any given year are in the top ten, you know, biggest movies of the year, along with pretty much like seven superhero movies. Um, that is interesting, and you would think that mm. taking kids to a theater is more money than 
you know, going to see like a family friendly movie is profitable for movie theaters because like you have to spend a lot more money bringing like two or three kids to the theater or yeah, whatever. For sure. Um, the only thing I can think of is, you know, there's a lot of movie theaters around the country that have still shuttered because of the pandemic. The one right by Pete and I, it's not back in business. They're still boarded up. Uh, that could be part of the decision making from Disney is um, how accessible are some of these movies, you know, in rural parts of the country, maybe they don't have a movie theater right now. I would also wonder um, how, how China, the chi the Chinese market um, looks for that as well. From maybe, maybe America's not even, you know, if they get some ancillary theater money from America, maybe. But if China is mostly fine, then yeah. they'll sweep China with a theater and be, you know, be fine. So something uh, that Variety called out here as well that I thought was interesting was they said that like Disney has postponed most of its slate, blah, blah, blah. And then they said the studio has been able to witness firsthand how the U.S. market is recovering as it recently released Raya and the Last Dragon, an animated adventure geared towards family audiences in theaters and on Disney Plus for a premium fee. It's made $23.4 million in the U.S. and $71 million globally, which is modest by, by pandemic standards. Um, so it... it it says here, right? It would be financially detrimental for Black Widow, Shang-Chi, or any other tent poles to replicate those results. So it sounds like the returns, both domestically and internationally, are not, you know, they're recovering, but not to, to what the expectation is for these kinds of products. Yeah. I mean, Disney, Warner Brothers, um, Sony, all these studios have just been eating it the last year with the pandemic in terms of just sitting on movies especially disney because um obviously you know disney's a huge corporation they have their thumbs in a lot of pies but i think one of the things that people maybe like don't realize if you're not as close like to the business side of things is like how much of their revenue comes from their parks which is also closed so it's like their two biggest drivers of revenue have been yeah. fucking decimated you know yeah. um so it's no surprise that you know that they're trying to look at, like, how do we continue to grow Disney Plus? Because Disney Plus has been their, that's their success story of the last two years, you know? Yeah, that's very true, Pete. Mm. So uh, we are not done with uh, with movie news yet here. Let's, let's move on to uh, the DC side of the fence for a minute here. There are uh, two pieces of casting news uh, that we wanted to <laughs> chat about this week, where uh, the first being uh, Pierce Brosnan has uh, signed on to play Dr. Okay. Fate. Okay. Uh, okay. Against Dwayne Johnson's Black Adam. Oh, no thanks. <laughs> Wait, they're fighting each other? I mean, it says that he's a pl he's to play Dr. DC hero Dr. Fate opposite Dwayne Johnson. Oh, maybe it's like a buddy film. Okay. Who's to say? Okay. Kel's <laughs> <Okay>. back in. Kel's <laughs> back in. Uh, no, the JSA was all. I, I think the plan was always to have them in uh, in Black Adam, to to some extent, and so I mean, that's uh, that's where yeah, Doctor Fate is going to come in. I mean, like you know that more than I think about it, you need to have someone to bounce off the rock. His best movies have like Kevin Hart, for instance, to be able to bounce off. Most most of these films just have bullets do it. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> How droll, Kale. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no this is cool uh dr fate's really cool um so cool he's really 
I feel like cool. he's become such a D-lister the last few years. And like the advent of Doctor Strange over on the Marvel side, you know, it makes Doctor Fate look more like a poor facsimile, even though he's older. Um, you know, give me old Buckethead and Pierce Brosnan. That fucks. That's a cool choice. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that fucks. The only way that choice could be better for me is if they got the um, <clears throat> that real sexy Egyptian guy from the uh, the Mummy. You know who I'm talking about? Brandon Fraser. <laughs> yes. No. Yeah. No. I I don't remember the actor's name, but I, I think I know the guy you're talking about. Um. Yeah, they should have or something. They should have chose Kevin Hart, right? <laughs> no. No. Okay. <laughs> no. The, no one should put Kevin Hart in anything. Let's be real. Um, <laughs> I think he's in, in my mind. He's most notable for being the Rock's friend. So, <laughs> uh, I I thought this was interesting. So, um, Kale, you called out how like the the plan of this was apparently always to get the Justice Society in there. I, I didn't realize that until now. Um, the Hollywood Reporter article called out. There's actually. Uh, a few castings already done there. Uh, mm-hmm. Aldous Hodge as Hawkman, Noah Centineo as Adam Smasher, and Quinte- Quintessa Swindell as Cyclone. That's pretty cool. That's cool. I don't know any of those people. Just and those actors, those characters. I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah, okay. Cyclone for the uh, the JSA is a fairly new character, so she is the granddaughter of Ma Hunkel. Who's oh, wow. the original? Who's the original Red Tornado? Who is a grandmother who went around with a pot on her head and just beat people up? I love that. <laughs> That's the movie I want to make. <laughs> I'd go see a Ma Hunkle Red Tornado movie. Yeah, Are you man. kidding me? Yeah, man. <laughs> Betty White. Yes. Yeah, you need somebody beefier than Re- Betty White, dude. Get her CGI in the-, the beef, baby. Get her in the gym, you <laughs> know. Right. Right. That'd be that'd be like a B. Arthur movie if you could, you know, if you could raise the dead, resurrect her from the grave. The, yeah. <laughs> B. Arthur circa nineteen ninety four, or uh, um, the the old lady from the Goonies. <laughs> she's she's got to be like a dinosaur or dead at this point. I, I love she, that. I you're think casting, she died a couple years ago. Her casting is from old ladies from thirty years ago. <laughs> we need current old ladies, scale. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait till you hear what I'm watching on TV now. <laughs> you're watching the Andrew Griffith show, and you're like, man, I can't believe they still make shows like this. This I'm is wonderful. Just, I'm just finishing up the Dick Van Dyke show. We, I know, Kale. We need him. <laughs> <MP. laughs> yes, oh. heard about this starlet Mary Tyler Moore. <laughs> oh my god so uh another uh piece of casting news this week um for a different film that is probably a lot more controversial is uh hayden christensen uh has been cast as alan scott oh no the upcoming green lantern according to deadline oh hell you're the jsa expert can i ask you a question no. <laughs> Let me sit here and die. <laughs> Does Alan Scott hate sand? Because it's Does coarse now. and it's rough. It's going to be the fucking villain of this movie. <laughs> Does Alan Scott kill younglings? Yes. Oh, and that sounds like a perfect casting then. <laughs> I feel like he's going to nail this role, frankly. <laughs> God. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to hear this. Genuinely. Fuck. Because, uh... In a Green Lantern movie? Come on. 
I'm like, I don't, I don't want to like sit here and well, like just shit was on Aaron Eckhart. Busy. <laughs> <sighs> hey, I just, listen. He's it, it's. It's been a long time since I've seen Hayden Christian in anything. And th- and that's the thing. Like, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt or whatever. But it's also like my distaste of him is not based on Anakin alone. You know, like, obviously, his performance in those movies was bad. So was Natalie. So was Natalie Portman's. Right. And she's a great actress when she wants to be. Um, but I've seen him in other things and he sucks. Like, bad. Um, Phil, <laughs> I don't know. Bad. You're, you know, journalist. Have you seen Shattered Glass? I haven't. It's bad. It's really bad. It's really bad. And he, like, he has, like, I just remember there's this one scene where he's, like, getting yelled at. For those of you who don't know, Shattered Glass, it's a story about a real-life journalist uh, who was, like, exposed for plagiarism. And uh, there's this scene where his editor is, like, confronting him. And he just, like, is, like, crying. And he's, like... You know, he's kind of like, oh, my God, and like feeling bad for himself. But I just remember I couldn't take it seriously at all because it just was so like, it's like, why are you being so mean to me? It's just like, I, I thought it was okay to take other people's words. <laughs> it's so, it's so not good. And then like, <laughs> the only other thing I've seen him in is, uh, is Jumper, which is a movie where he can teleport. And Samuel L. Jackson is part mm. of a secret society that has to stop the teleporting people because they're disrupting society. It's ridiculous. It's Man. it's a g- great premise. Terrible movie. <laughs> I guess it's going to take a lot more magic than the uh, lantern that Alan Scott uses to <laughs> save this movie now. Maybe, maybe he's spent the last 15 years getting acting lessons on this farm he's been on i mean he's he's supposed to be in that obi-wan thing i don't know who knows what if, yeah what if he uh what if there's like a, a training montage video release where it's him training with daniel day lewis and it's like this is how you be an actor <laughs> i mean honestly i would love that like the, sick. the only thing that people love more than a fall from grace is a comeback story yeah so yeah, maybe i mean honestly who, who knows? Okay, like we've talked about so many actors that were we thought were bad at one time. Robert Pattinson. Well, Robert Pattinson in the mid 2000s. People were talking about Matthew McConaughey that way. People used to talk about Ben Affleck that way. People used to talk about Brad Pitt that way, who's an amazing actor. Yeah. Maybe, maybe this is just that return to grace that Hayden Christensen needs. But why does it have to be Alan Scott? Why can't it just be. <laughs> Some other fucking movie where he gets his feet wet. Usually when people make these kind of comebacks, they do a lot of indie films before they get something big. Yeah. Yeah. Where have those been? Maybe they maybe I, they exist I, and we just don't know. <laughs> I, I, I'm usually kind of on the pulse for that stuff. I, mean, yeah. I haven't heard any of this. So. All right. Uh, guys. <sighs> <laughs> it could be good. It could um, be good. Yeah. Who? So who would be a good, bad Jake Eric then? If Hayden Christensen's oh. Alan Scott, who's the equivalent for Jake Eric? But we have to pick okay. an actor that we think is bad. Yeah, that would be bad for it or whatever. That's who's question. the guy that played the thing in the last set of the Fantastic Four? The Josh Trank movie? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. But that guy? Yeah, it's not Tom Hardy, but it's <laughs> somebody like him. 
somebody like Tom Hardy. <laughs> I think I think he might have been in Jumper with. Uh, oh, I'm really trying to think here. Jay Garrick. I'm gonna find him. There's another actor we all dislike. <laughs> We've always wanted Ryan Reynolds as Wally West. Okay, well, who's his mentor? <laughs> That's what I'm. I'm working. I'm. I'm working my way backwards. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I'm. A, okay, here we go. All right, let's you, see. You uh, got it. It is Jamie Bell. Oh, was <laughs> oh. What if it was Drake Bell? <laughs> Drake Bell. There, there we go. There it is. There we go. <laughs> you got it. We Nailed got it. there. Actually, <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a minute. And while we're doing weird fan, what if we make a Booster Gold uh, Blue Beetle movie and it's Drake Bell and Josh Peck? <laughs> now, hold on. Slow down. You've turned it back into good movies. <laughs> you know, people would be into that, Pete. We've spun back around to good pitches. That's basically what Drake and Josh is. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, while we're on the subject of absolutely silly DC movies, uh, we got a trailer this week for James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. Uh, it actually dropped yesterday at the time of this recording, and um, yeah, well, we're gonna we're gonna take a look at it. Let's we'll we'll pop it up on the screen, and we'll uh, all right. So we've got it up on screen here now. Phil, why don't you give it a play? All right, here thanks we for go. the copyright strike, YouTube. Boom. So there's our boy John Cena. Yeah, that was one of the first things that stood out to me. And this was like how many lines he had. Oh, he's going to be one of the main characters, right? Yeah, I mean, I remember when they first announced it, we kind of thought he was going to be one of the ones who would get iced right away because like, of course, but then they announced he's going to have his own show and everything. So I guess he's in for the long haul. Man, Cena's, Cena's getting big in Hollywood. Is I this, get it. Uh, is this Rick Flagg? Yes. The guy in the yellow? Okay. Maybe. I think so. The guy from the last film. Yeah. Okay. Yo, seeing uh, <laughs> fucking uh, what's his name, Michael Rooker with that long yeah. hair, it's uh, that's a trip, man. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I like when directors have like a guy they put in all their movies too. <clears throat> I do too. Yeah, I, I I like frequent collaborators. And uh, who doesn't want to see um, uh, Idris Elba? By the way, what the heck. Yeah, right? I mean, Idris Elba is just, like, a fucking rock star. He rules. <laughs> now, here's the star of the trailer, everyone. Okay. Yeah. It's King Shark. King Look Shark at him. straight up is eating a person in several of these. And he's stupid as hell. Yes, that's your hand. <laughs> I <laughs> love that. I love that line. My question uh, is... I, I, uh, by the way, this is a good joke. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You die. That's a COVID-related thing. You don't. If you cough while not covering your mouth. You die. Good call. She. I mean, she is the hero here. She's paying attention. Yeah, she's paying attention. What is like this dress that she's in? This whole movie, apparently. Also, this I thought was pretty ridiculous. Where he's just like, I'd eat an entire like they cover this whole island in dicks. I'd eat them all for freedom. <laughs> also, that's. <laughs> I like hearing John Cena say that for some reason. I just. I. I think it's like for me the the thing that i found so funny about that it's less that it's like crass that he's like i'll eat a whole island worth of dicks but oh. like how matter of fact he is about it he's like i need an entire island covered in dicks for freedom dude it's like he thought about it <laughs> so hilarious so stupid look at that uh, he's king shark he's eating somebody again he's just chomping on somebody some dude's arm or whatever that was a skull <laughs> you see this 
Yeah, uh, Starro. Fuck with Starro. Yeah, I really fuck, fuck yeah. with the fact that Starro is the main villain. That's awesome. But again, what is with this dress she's in? She looks like she's going to a quinceanera. Maybe she is. <laughs> Maybe she is. So yeah, there's the trailer. Uh, I personally am really into this movie. I gotta tell you. Me too. Yeah. I and- I think this looks like a lot of fun, and I got a lot of uh, confidence in James Gunn. Me too. And I think for me, like, this is what I I feel like the DC universe has been missing. You know, like, I, I the whole, like, you know, grim and gritty thing or whatever, like, that that obviously has its place. But, like, like looking at this trailer, like, this looks like fun. It looks like it's going to be a fun movie to, to just, like, sit down and have a good time with. I, well, and the thing is, like, it, 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 I mean, at this point, it looks competent. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, like like the first Suicide Squad could have potentially could have been something good, but it was sent to editing hell. Um, That's Marco. Sure, that is Marco. Holy shit, little fur Man, boy. I really hope Pete Davidson is not in this whole movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not a huge Pete Davidson fan either, but I didn't see uh, King of Staten Island or anything. Uh, it's fine if he's in it. Uh, he's not walking. With, oh wait, he was walking there. Well, he's probably gonna be in this whole movie. I'm sorry. Oh God, please. I don't know. I a lot of these motherfuckers are gonna get iced. I think <laughs> that's a good bet. Uh, hopefully not King Shark. There's too many of. Them. I think King Shark will survive. You guys know about King Shark and uh, Constantine, yeah? Mm-hmm. Oh no, please explain. They fucked. Oh, that's right. That <laughs> I forgot canon. about that. That is canon. Um. Here's my question. Do you guys know anything about John Cena's character? So in the, uh, I, I, I don't know a lot about Peacemaker uh, originally, but what I can tell you is when Alan Moore created Watchmen, it was based on all the old Charlton comics characters. Obviously, Dr. Manhattan was kind of a loose analog of Captain Adam. I mean, originally they were going to be the Charlton characters until DC said, well, we're actually going to use these characters for other stuff. They didn't really do that with the other characters for the most part outside of the question Captain Adam. But Peacemaker was the comedian. Oh, okay. is that right? Yes. So, so he a little be a funny guy. Give you a little sense of his deal. Like, just because, I don't know, I, I thought it was interesting because, like, I'm looking at him, right? And I'm like, is he a bad guy? I think he is. He's called Peacemaker. And he's kind of based on the comedian. I think he's, you know, kind of like a guy who... Uh, Probably fairly Punisher esque, I would I would guess. Yeah, for, but as like a modern equivalent. Yeah, I think he's supposed to be a little cheeky too, though. Like, yeah. he's like supposed to be a little funny. Okay, because like I'm on his Wikipedia page and it says uh, the fictional character bio: the peacemaker is Christopher Smith, a pacifist diplomat so committed to peace that he is willing to use force yeah. as a superhero to advance the cause. Which is funny. Um, it, it's just like weird because it's like, why is he in the Suicide Squad? Like, what did he do to end up? <laughs> On the Suicide Squad. Yeah, maybe he took that uh, zealous that that zealous the uh, he was Zealotry. so zealous that uh, he went too far. I guess so. We'll have to find um, out. Yeah, and I really like this cast. I like James Gunn. I mean, as far as DC movies go, uh, this is definitely the most interested one in one I've been in so yeah. so long. Yeah. The other thing is, we just had a a year of a global pandemic, like. We just watched this Zack Snyder four-hour cut movie. I don't have like this mental and emotional capacity to watch these grimdark movies that are 
four hours long. At the beginning of the pandemic, I watched the new Charlie Kaufman movie called I'm Thinking of Ending Things, and it was just so somber and <laughs> and like just depressing. And I was like, I don't have time for this kind of stuff in 2020 slash 2021, the years of our it. Lord. Like I just I, I already feel that way, you know? Like I don't I don't need art to make me connect with those kinds of feelings. Like I need something that's gonna like be uplifting or at least like distracting. You I know? just want escapism. Yeah. Real life sucks. Like legitimately. There's a global pandemic. So many people are dying, there's police brutality, all kinds of bad shit. Just let me watch a goofy movie with a shark eating a guy. Yeah. And you know, <laughs> Harley Quinn threatening people with custom license plates on the way to a quinceanera. Sounds great. Yeah, huh? I fuck with that. <laughs> I do. I really do. Um, I actually, uh, I've been, I've been wanting to check out the uh, Harley Quinn animated show because I've heard that's really good, and I've kind of like been in the mood for something kind of like goofy and irreverent <laughs> like that. You know, people on our Discord speak highly of it. Yeah, so I think I might check that one out too. Um, but yeah, this has me excited. I'm like genuinely interested in seeing this, and like I figured it would be right. Like James Gunn is great. I like most of his movies that I've seen. Um, yeah. But I mean, specifically, right? Like <clears throat> with the guardians, like he nailed that whole team buddy, like, you know, rough around the edges vibe. Like, I think we knew this was going to be pretty cool. He thrives with Z-listers. I tell you. It's easy to make a story when you can put something on the personality, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, that's a good point. When, when, you know, the characters themselves aren't extremely well established in like the zeitgeist. You can kind of do whatever you want with them. Yeah. And like, and, and, and when you think about who's the A-list character in this movie, it's Harley Quinn, Quinn. And she's extremely malleable, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, she can be a villain. She can be a hero. She can be an anti-hero. She can be so insane that she's none of those things. It's really just whatever flavor you want to throw in, you know? My, my big takeaway, one of my big takeaways watching that trailer is how much Will Smith wouldn't fit in this movie. You think? Mm. I, I, I think don't he think would. He, you think so? Yeah, I do. Um, I mean, I feel like I haven't seen him in something silly in so long. I mean, he was just in uh, Bad Boys for Life. Oh, shit. That's right. I forgot that came out. <laughs> you know, like, he, he's got oh. comedy chops. That's his roots, you know? I just I felt like it was a while, but you know what? I think you're right. I think you're right. I take it all back. I think I he, guess I can't picture uh, Suicide Squad one Will Smith in it. I guess. Yes, and and I, yeah. I get that, but I th- I think I think in the same way that I I see Idris Elba in this role, I see Will Smith in that mm. in that role too. Because when I think Idris Elba, I don't think of that kind of role for him, just because he can do it. You know, like you think about like to me, right? Like it's you. I mostly think of him as like cool, you know, or like tough, or like, mm-hmm. you know, you think of like Heimdall and he's like this strong, silent badass, you know, but then like he was also fucking Charles Minor on The Office, right? So it's yeah. like, he can kind of do... Who was kind of a straight man, but he... Very he, funny. He played, he, yeah, he worked well as like a comedic foil. I'm aware of the effect I have on women. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or you think of his interview on Hot Ones where he's like fucking struggling with the hottest wings and so it's hysterical it was a meme yeah. for weeks and i i think to me like both of them are are like actors who i think of as being like malleable like they're com- they're very chameleon types you know um so yeah i can't wait to see this uh i'm 
I meant to mention this while we uh, were talking about the Black Widow news, but like I'm at a point where I'm starved for fun movies. Like Kong versus Godzilla is coming out next mm-hmm. week for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Mortal Kombat movies coming up in a few weeks. Like fucking inject these dumb movies in my veins. I'm here for the dumbest shit, dude. Yeah, I I'm like so excited to watch uh, Godzilla versus Kong. That's going to be such a good time. Yep. I just want to watch stupid the, shit. We're still down for a review, right? We're doing we're doing a kaiju watch. Oh Fuck hell it. yeah! Hell yeah! Fuck it! Oh hell yeah! Go! Let's do it. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm this this after seeing this trailer, right? Like most of the time, trailers kind of whatever, right? Like I feel like I'm either already excited for the movie <laughs> or I don't care, and it feels like it spoils stuff. This was mm. exactly the right kind of trailer where I'm like, oh yeah, I am excited for that. Cool. Don't mm. show me anything else. I'm fucking in. Mm. Like it, it's a thing I forgot about, kind of. <laughs> yeah, because it's it it's felt like it's so off like far off for so long that now that it's like imminent you're like oh shit cool (laughs) pop off king all right so uh looking forward to that one um jumping along into the next bit of uh adaptation news i guess um netflix is going to be developing a live action film and a follow-up anime series based on the best-selling comic of the year keanu reese's (laughs) berserker uh, what? Uh, yeah, I can't believe I can't believe that would happen. <laughs> right? Wow. So who could have predicted? Uh, right. I, I think not exactly surprising news, uh, but definitely definitely big news for for Boom, uh, especially. And um, worth pointing out that uh, Keanu is going to be uh, producing um, and will star in both the film and uh, the anime. My what? man. I can't believe that. Yeah. <laughs> My man knew exactly how to do his guerrilla marketing for his projects, and it worked. <laughs> yeah, man. And he made uh, he made Boom a big old pile of money in the meantime. <laughs> yeah, he flooded the room, and everyone drifted to the top of the water, so to speak. You know what I mean? Yeah, dude. Everyone floated. We'll see. Oh? What's so, that? I'm, I'm skeptical about yeah. that. Go on. Boom, Boom has a bit of a reputation among creators for not always paying and paying well Uh, so i'm i'm skeptical obviously that's all hearsay but you know now you've uh you've you've made now that i've here said it that's right you've made things interesting (laughs) so like over the next couple years as boom starts releasing comics you know they just got a big influx of cash probably some big more influx of cash coming in as berserker goes to netflix you know, if we start getting news stories where it's like, Boom's not paying their people, it's like, oh, Kale called this like two years ago. Yeah. I mean, it's been, you know, how many how many years and they're, they've been steadily blowing up. I, you know, I, I can't, at this point, I would imagine they, you know, at least hide it well. Yeah, I think, I think it's the kind of thing that like, where there's smoke, you know, and the fire and that, that whole thing, like, if if there is truth to that, you'll see it sooner than later. You can't um, hide that forever, especially as your star is rising. Mm-hmm. You know, um, if this movie comes out and makes a pile of money, um, and there are people at Boom who feel like you know they're not being they're not getting their their fair credit or their fair shake or whatever, um, no easier time to embarrass <laughs> the company and uh, make a statement about it then. So. It- um, and and not not to invalidate these claims by this comparison, but it's it's very similar to the the Amazon warehouse workers who who say they have to pee in bottles, you know, to you know, 
make their quota or whatever. It's like these are legitimate complaints being levied at these companies, but they're from, you know, small time workers against a giant company, you know, who's going to believe them and who's going to do be able to do anything about it. Well, and that's my view on the world at the moment. So, well, certainly the Amazon thing, at least there's a, a lot of people that it's impacting and there's a large unionizing movement when it comes to, you know, workers at boom, it's much smaller. I mean, you're not getting yeah. as nearly as much attention. Um, it also, for what it's worth, it, it feels like an indictment of the comic book industry that the Berserker is the highest selling comic of the year. And obviously we knew it was going to be, but my point being is that a comic that is ultimately um, like a marketing tool for a launch off of a TV show in the movie. That's what the highest selling comic of the year is. Like it kind of speaks to the sorry state of things. Yeah. I mean, I don't know though. It's like in one sense, I agree with you. I feel like it's like such a, um, it's such an outlier thing though. Like, of course it is, you know? Yeah. Cause like the idea that it's like, Oh, like it's a sorry state for comics because they're not as big as like movies or whatever. Right. Yeah. Like, it's like, yeah, but they aren't and they haven't been an, and they won't be, you know? And like, of course, but it's not an established IP or anything. You know what I mean? Like, it's I, not like, I think that's part of why it is successful though. Right. Mm. Like it, I think that is, and I've made this case before. I think comics biggest strength, is also its biggest Achilles heel is that like you have the, these characters and these IP with all this legacy and, and you have all these things that you can pull from and, and that you can build on. And and it's this amazing conduit for storytelling, but it's also alienating as fuck. Yeah. And like, you know, like right now, um, Sarah and I are, I've, I've been rewatching, uh, the MCU movies with her. Uh, and like, we just watched Avengers last night. Right. And like, um, she's seen a bunch of the like tentpole ones, but has not seen a lot of the individual stuff. So this is like her first time watching it all in order. I think that's and, most a lot of people. And there's been so many instances where she'll be like, "Oh, like is that a thing in the comics?" And I'm like, "Well, <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, b- both, neither." You know, and she's, she's like, like Nick Fury's black sometimes <laughs> in the ultimate universe or if you're his son for six months or whatever what happened to that character who's to say and like that's the reality right yeah. and i think it's again right like what is the biggest comic book property in the last 20 years it's the walking dead yeah. and it's because it's not that it's because <laughs> it's not ridiculous and convoluted it's there was the show and if you like the show you could read the book that it's based on and you pick up the first one, and then you read the second one, and then you read the third one, and that's it. Yeah. And that's appealing to people. Like, normal people, that's how they are used to engaging with things. And all of my friends who are, like, casual comic book readers, those are the books that they gravitate towards. It's not, mm-hmm. oh, oh yeah, Ed Brubaker's run of Captain America. They don't read that shit. You know, they don't it, care about that shit. It, it's what studios were always afraid of when it came to the Marvel formula things that you know, moviegoers had no interest in a giant web of movies. You know, they wanted to watch a movie, maybe a sequel. Although for the longest time, sequels weren't made or they were made with low budgets because they thought people have no interest in seeing a sequel, which is hilarious to think about now. Uh, Sequels always make more money. (laughs) I know, but pre like 1975, studios were terrified of sequels. 1975? Yeah, that recently. 
maybe even sooner. Probably like pre nineteen eighty. Dog, that was fifty years ago. <laughs> but uh, I guess sentiment's been <laughs> happening for a hundred years at this point. So that recently. <laughs> I'm actually like Bucky 40 years Barnes. before any of us were born, you know, very recently. <laughs> I, I'm like Bucky Barnes, guys. I was actually <laughs> born in 1920. Um, but uh, it, it, it speaks to um, what the MCU was able to do by creating these giant web of movies and keeping people interested for at this point, like 13 years. Well, because I think what they did is boil down something massive and complex to a point where it's understandable. Because, like, that's the thing I find the most striking about uh, watching the Gen 1 Avengers movies again is, like, how much weight and gravitas is placed on things that now I just think of as being normal. Like, the first time that the helicarrier takes off, you're like, oh, my God, like, this is a moment. And then now it's just, like, the helicarrier is in the air and on fire in every movie in the first 10 minutes, Yeah, you know? <laughs> um, and that's that's the thing, right? You grow with it. and And I think that's why something like Berserker has the opportunity to come out and, like, make waves. A, right, we talked about this, Keanu Reeves is a star, right? Like, he's a bona fide movie star uh, at a time where there are not that many bona fide yeah. movie stars. Um, He is at a, kind of having a career renaissance right now, right? Like, the John Wick movies at, were huge and kind of put him back on the map. He was just in cyberpunk and was, you know the internet's boyfriend for, you know, a year while everyone was posting memes about how much they love him and how cute he is. And I feel like that's been happening for like four years. I mean, that's his whole fucking thing, but it's been like, he's been on that kind of, yeah. he's back on top. He's hot again, you Bill know? And Ted. Yeah. Bill and Ted three just happened. Yeah. Like he, he's, he's in a great place. So the fact that he, he is the, you know, the force behind this and was able to put out a video on, you know, his Instagram or his Twitter or whatever, where it's like, go to the comic book store and buy my comic book or go to the Kickstarter. Like those are things that make sense to normies, you know, like, because they don't, they don't know about, uh, Oh, Brian Michael Bendis is starting on justice league. Number 57. Great. They don't care. Keanu Reeves book. It's in the, it's in the store and I can buy it. Cool. Now what, <laughs> what DC should have done is they should have put Scott Snyder on Justice League now, not two or three years ago when they did it, so that people can go and see that there's a Snyder Justice League comic and be like, oh, I didn't know Zack Snyder wrote a Justice League comic. <laughs> I think they probably did that right around that time. <laughs> because uh, Scott Snyder has been tweeting about how people keep tagging him in the Justice League movie discourse. <laughs> yeah. Uh, any interest in berserker as a film or anime maybe as an anime uh it's one of those things i'll have to wait and see on you know yeah because like i i felt that way about the book right like the first issue like it was it was whatever like it was yeah. it didn't i didn't think it was bad at all um but it didn't nothing about it like really grabbed me you know and i, yeah. I kind of remember marco was saying he was going to keep up with it and i was like well i want to hear what he thinks like if he gets a few issues in and he's like yeah it's picking up it's going somewhere i'd be like all right sure like i'll I'm not opposed to it, um, but in terms of, like, a film or a series, I mean, a movie might be better. Like, it in an hour and a half could be a more digestible way for this kind of story to be delivered if it is just watching Keanu Reeves beat the shit out of people for an hour and a half. Like, yeah, people love John that, Wick. Um, I was thinking that Gendy Tartofsky, um, uh Primal? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Mm. 
So if I, if this anime or whatever ends up being something like that, that could be something. Yeah, could be something. I, I think could for, be good. I think for me, well, like, could be something. <laughs> when it, when it comes to like the adaptations, if it's not a, a a franchise that I already care about or that like you know has piqued my interest in some way, yeah. I'm I'm just happy about it for the sake of, and, and you know you can say that this is sad for the state of comics or whatever right but like adaptations are the biggest inroad to comics for most people um and and literally no one on this podcast is is free from that right like Mm -hmm. most of us our first experience with with a a character or something that we fell in love with was not an actual comic um and there's nothing wrong with that of course whatever gets you to the book is you know that's not what I even meant, though. I, I meant that it felt the comic was utilized as a marketing tool yeah. for this, and it's it, it it kind of is a bummer that that's what you know is the highest selling comic this year. I mean, I don't know. I I get where you're coming from, but I guess my counterpoint to that would be that Keanu Reeves didn't have to make it a comic, of course, right? But so like to me, that kind speaks of a, to a genuine affection for the medium on some yeah. level, and like you know, um. If, if, you know, the things we said about Boomer are true, then, like, that's kind of its own thing. But, like, the idea that, like, this could have just been an action movie that he went and pitched to somebody and got off the ground the old-fashioned way. And instead, he chose to make it a, a comic that would be a bestseller for Boom, that would potentially get new people in comic book stores for the first time, that could, you know, uh, be a, a great payday for the rest of his creative collaborators on this book, like... You know, I, th- I think it's easy to look at it and and kind of be doom and gloom or or you know chastise it or whatever. But I I don't know that it's like as negative as people want to make it out to be. Whether or not it's sad that the best selling book isn't something that's homegrown, that I agree with. But I feel like those are kind of two separate conversations almost. That said, all criticism aside, if I hear that the show or the movie, if they if I hear that those fuck, oh, you better believe I'm parking my keister there to watch those. Sure. I'll watch Keanu Reeves beat the shit out of anybody, frankly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Put that keep, on a shirt. Keeping in line uh, with, with the comics side of things, uh, let's, let's jump into some news here uh, from DC, which is that, um, you know, kind of the, hopefully, I guess, the last major update in this story for the time being uh, on the milestone titles. Um, you know, we've been talking about them for the last couple months, it feels like, right? There's yeah. this kind of mm-hmm. looming... Uh, milestone relaunch that has been, you know, kind of up in the air for a number of years because of licensing and all these legal things. We finally get them figured out. We know that there's this relaunch coming. And then there's the news that it's going to be digital first. And, you know, we, we all kind of express disappointment at that for different reasons, right? Um, San Marco, not me. Well, I, I I think, you know, obviously like Sean being a, yeah. a physical purist, that's how he wants to buy books. But yeah. I know I, I made the case that I thought it was troublesome because to me that doesn't speak to you believing in the property mm-hmm. and wanting mm-hmm. to really put the property over. Because as much as I believe in the digital model, um, you know, we, we, we look at the percentages of how people read comics every single year, right? Like people read physical more than they read digital. That's just the facts. Um, yeah. And, and also one thing that became really apparent to me during the pandemic is not everyone has like tech that can support stuff like that. You know, it's, it's a little bit, um, elitist in a way. Sure. 
and I, I mean, you know, comics in general are are certainly sure. not the most accessible form of entertainment. But yeah, um, I mean, four dollars over you know a couple hundred dollars on the technology that can support something like that. Sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah, worth pointing out for sure. Um, so so that obviously was something that you know um, we we kind of criticized them for a little bit because you know I, at the very least I think it's clear that. You know, Static is a character that, especially with people our age and a little bit, you know, maybe a little bit older, um, it resonates, right? Like, Static Shock was a huge show, and, you know, you could easily see how that character could make a comeback and have the same kind of relevance of, like, a Miles Morales today, you know? And um, that that news was definitely disappointing to me. And, you know, I remember saying at the time, like, I'll pick it up digitally, and you know, I want to support it, but you see how some of these digital first books go. Right, and there just isn't mm-hmm. buzz, and and then by the time it comes out, it's old hat. Yeah, that's a thousand percent true. So this week we got the update that uh, each of the currently planned six issue limited series will be available day and date to uh, on digital to DC Universe Infinite subscribers and in comic book stores. So nice. slam dunk. It's good. DC finally doing something right. Putting them on DC Infinite Day One and Day and Date is great. They That's awesome. really, they really need to park the marketing machine behind Static Shock. It's crazy how, how much they really haven't done anything with the character. And you know, other characters that the DC animated universe created, like Harley Quinn, uh, Renee Montoya, these are characters that DC found ways to utilize in their comic books and have had since found life in greater media static shock absolutely could be one of those characters and they have not done any anything to really you know there's been a couple books that never had a lot of support like this is a book now this is the moment strike while the iron's hot pack you know back the horse behind the carriage let's go yeah i i'm i'm right there with you so just to give you guys a reminder we've got static season one written by vita ayala with layouts by crisscross finishes by nicholas drapey draper ivy and uh covers by kari randolph and that's coming on uh june 15th we've got icon and rocket season one co-written by reggie hudlin and leon chills with art by doug brain uh braithwaite and um <clears throat> and covers by uh tareen tareen clark yeah tareen clark i would guess um, that's July 27th. And then Hardware Season 1, which is by Brandon Thomas, uh, with art by Dennis Cowan and Bill Sinkowitz, and covers by uh, Mateus uh, Mahani? Kale's supposed to mispronounce names. Yeah, Maybe. I'm doing it this week. Uh, that one's coming <laughs> on August 10th. So um, really excited to see see all these. They've they've announced that there's going to be like a, a, a big variant cover play with each of them. There's going to be... Uh, Retail exclusive variant covers for Static. There's going to be a team variant by uh, Olivier Coppel. Um, lots of really cool stuff coming out. So I'm I'm stoked to see this. I really want to see. You know, I I, w- I want to see all these books succeed. I want to see every book succeed. But specifically, uh, Static is a character who is near and dear to my heart, and I would love to see come back and blow up. Um, and so we'll definitely review that book when it comes. Hundred hundred percent. Yeah. Especially now. Yeah. Oh, because I said it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what took what it took. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> All Not right. Because, yeah. 
So let's move into our our last news story this week before we get into the main topic, and that is um, the reveal of Superman and the Authority by Grant Morrison and Mikkel Janin. Yeah, that's that's something, huh? Every um, time every time Grant Morrison tries to retire, he says, "All right, one more." Well, they it's say. interesting because they say one more. It's interesting because, you know, we've been talking about for a couple months now how DC is not going to be utilizing any of the big name writers anymore. But here's Grant Morrison returning for something else. Yeah, so just can't stay away. (laughs) Can't stay away. Uh, Oh, it's so exciting. The story behind this one uh, comes from uh, Bleeding Cool. Um, In June last year, Bleeding Cool had uh, (laughs) reported on the rumor that Superman was going to be the new leader of the Authority. And, um, you know, obviously, you know, that had been kind of debated, disputed, whatever. Here we are. And, you know, it points to the fact that Superman and the Authority is very much real. Uh, it is a new two-issue book by Grant Morrison, uh, Mikhail Janin, and Jordi Belair's on colors. Um, and then based on the cover, it looks as if the team is Superman, Midnighter, Apollo, Enchantress, Manchester Black, Omac, Natasha Irons, and a Flash. Great characters here. Uh, you know, uh, this predates us by a good 10 years, I'd say. But in the 90s, the authority were, like, hot. They were hot. Yeah. Um, it prompted Joe Kelly to write the famous Superman book, What's So Funny About Truth, Justice, in the American Way. And it kind of juxtaposed the old-fashioned Superman values against uh, what the authority were doing. Ditto for Kingdom mm-hmm. Come. Uh, Mark Wade's Kingdom Come. The authority were these characters who... You know, they handled disputes brutally. And uh, the fact that Grant, they're taking uh, Superman and and meshing them with the authority, there's a lot of creative potential there. And if there's anyone that could do something like with this and make it good, it's Grant. Grant's well, got it, a great track record with Superman. If I, if I remember the cover correctly, and I, I don't have it in front of me, it looks like it could be a version of the kingdom come Superman. He does have, he's got that, that logo and the great temples. Yeah. Yes. On both accounts. Um, Oh, I like the Mr. Fantastic hair. Yeah. Yeah. He's got the, the, uh, the dusted sides. Um, yeah, I mean, this is, this is interesting. Like I'm not, I, I'm really more familiar with the authority just like, um, kind of sociologically, like in the way that you just outlined Phil of like, I'm aware of Midnighter and Apollo and like their the relevance the team held at the time, but not really yeah. I've never really read any of the Wildstorm stuff. So I, I'm not super familiar with them. Did you watch Justice League, the cartoon? Yes. So I know for a fact Bruce Tim very much was an avid authority fan in the nineties, and a lot of that was a source of inspiration for the Justice League cartoon. And in the Justice Lords two-parter, very much is analog to the Authority. Interesting. Yeah. I've actually been huh. uh, thinking about going back and re-watching a bunch of those cartoons, so maybe that'll be uh, maybe that'll be something I'll, I'll be Justice Lords is a tremendous set of episodes. Yeah. Nice. A friend of mine's re-watching those right now and says they hold up. Yeah. I think I'm going to start with Static. I've been, like, thinking about that for quite a while. Yeah. So, um but yeah, maybe this is a, this is exciting. I, I my understanding is that this is only two issues, the like yes. the giant issues though. Yeah. Um. So that's I'll cool. fuck with that. Yeah, and and Superman as a character always very much lends himself to like these shorter version stories. You know. Yeah. 
So I think this is a perfect storm for a great Superman book. And you know how much I fuck with a, with a good, good, good Superman book. Last time we got one of those was Superman smashes the clan. <laughs> you know, so earlier, just like just a couple months ago. Yeah, not that long ago. At all. <laughs> it's been a real long time. <laughs> oh, I'm sweating over here. Well, listen, we had Bendis on the Superman ongoing, so that feels like an eternity. Yeah. 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 Anyway, <laughs> looking forward <laughs> to this one. Hope it comes together. Uh, I am. I'm. I'm excited to see how it turns out. Seems like yeah. a cool pitch. Happy to see Grant back on a DC book so soon. <laughs> All right. So let's move into our main topic this week. Uh, huge, huge news in the world of comics. Uh, in that Marvel has chosen Penguin Random House as a new distribution partner, and uh, it. You know, similarly to when we saw DC uh, make make that shift, uh, this this is gonna potentially really shake some things up. Yes. So, yes. Uh, I am going to credit both uh, Bleeding Cool and Games Radar for all the news that I pulled from them today. Um, you know, I'll have links if you want to check out the full stories and everything. There's a ton of of news around here to cover, um, but we're gonna do our best to hit all of it. So. You know, let's start at the top, right? So Marvel has announced that they will no longer be distributing comics uh, to stores in North America uh, via Diamond. So they'll exclusively be distributed by uh, Penguin Random House Publisher Services, which is a division of Penguin Random House. Um, So this is going to be an exclusive worldwide multi-year sales and distribution agreement for Marvel's newly published and backlist comic books, trade collections, and graphic novels to comic shops. And um, <clears throat> Random House officially will begin its distribution to the direct market retailers for all, all Marvel titles on October fart farst October first, twenty twenty one. So um, the reason for the change that was given to to uh, Bleeding Cool by by their sources is that um, Marvel, and I'm paraphrasing here from the Bleeding Cool article is that Marvel believes that this will grow the market, provide more efficiency and reliable resources as Penguin Random House are one of the largest and most experienced book publisher and distributors in the world. And Marvel believes that Penguin Random House, can uh, what they can provide Marvel and retailers f- is far more than what they get right now. Um, <clears throat> they also are going to be providing the opportunity for comic book stores to continue to order from Diamond. Um, but it's going to be... Uh, in in kind of a different way. So, did you have something, Kill? It seemed like Diamond would be more of a middleman in that yes. scenario. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it it says here that Marvel says that direct market comic book retailers will um as well as being able to direct order Marvel directly from Random House will also be able to order through Diamond, who will act as a wholesaler under terms that are established by Diamond in the U.S. and the U.K. The terms for stores may be different as they are now, um, and we'll but we'll have to wait to see how that develops. Essentially, is, is kind of the end of it there. But basically, Diamond would become a customer or a vendor of Public Random House, just like any other store, and then they would dis- further distribute to those stores. Yo, the pandemic rocked Diamond. <laughs> Holy shit! Yeah. Um. So another kind of interesting wrinkle here uh, is that. Marvel is going to continue to partner with Hachette. Hachette. Oh, Hachette. Thank you. Um, Hachette Book Group for the distribution of its trade collections and graphic novels to the book trade market. 
Um, and this I thought was interesting. Uh, again, Rich Johnson over at Bleeding Cool, he had kind of a follow-up article that came out um, the day after this news that was talking about why Marvel didn't go all in with Penguin. Mm. And um, let me see. It says here, right? Uh, it was notable that Marvel that Marvel Comics graphic novels collections and hardcovers will still be distributed to the book market by Hachette and not by Penguin Random House. Why was this? Hachette. Shit, I did it again. Sorry. Thank you, Kale. Uh, a residual contract obligation to Hachette? Not at all. But uh, it is far more revealing to the what kind of deals get made, right? So it says here, senior industry sources talking to Bleeding Cool have let us know that DC Comics has a clause in their existing book market deal with Penguin Random House that might even let Penguin Random House publish their own DC uh, Comics graphic novels that states that DC Comics will always get, quote, favored nation status mm-hmm. at the distributor. At the distributor. This means no other publisher will ever get a better deal than DC, but far more significantly, significantly that while DC is distributed in the returnable book market by uh, Random House, Marvel cannot be. This is why the deal with Penguin Random House and Marvel is just for the direct market, made up of non-returnable comic books. And it's wow. worth considering when other publishers look to Penguin Random House, if the contract holds valid, whatever you negotiate, DC Comics will get the same or better. And if you and if you are Marvel, there's only so far you can go. You know what? We've talked so much shit on DC this year. Uh, clearly, they uh, have some good ass lawyers. Yeah, I mean that's huge for them, right? Like, mm. uh, so you know, there there's some some more to get into here, but I did want to just quickly read Marvel's announcement on the subject, uh, and then we can kind of get into the end of the nuts and bolts of it before we get into kind of all of our takes here. Hmm. So, uh, again, this is from Marvel's statement. After a thorough, thorough analysis of the market environment, Marvel has chosen Penguin Random House Publisher Services as its distribution partner to, ch- to create a sustainable, productive supply chain and enhance infrastructure for Marvel publications that will benefit comics retailers and fans alike for years to come. Penguin Random House is known for its state-of-the-art, multi-ranging services that enable independent booksellers to increase efficiency and profitability. So I wanted to read that because there are some kind of interesting uh, bits that come along with this news in terms of like how this is actually going to affect things. So um, it's worth pointing out, right? Uh, Penguin already distributes a lot of comics to the book trade, but this is actually going to be their first um, foray into the direct market. So they do mm-hmm. book trade for DC, Archie, IDW, Dark Horse, um, so, like, they have – go ahead. Sorry, that's mostly to, like, Barnes & Noble and, yes. and the books, the various bookstores. Yeah, things. yeah, th- that's for book trade. So that's your Barnes right. & Nobles, you know, maybe your your local bookstores, whatever, right? Like, any any uh, traditional book retailer they work with. Um, but they've never done direct market to comic book retailers. Right. And, you know, obviously potentially interesting because, you know, if this works for Marvel, who's to say that they – won't expand into offering it for some of these other clients and potentially actually being a real competitor for Diamond. Um, so that's obviously worth pointing out. Um, but there's a few other things that also help make Penguin a little, potentially anyway, a little bit more attractive to some of these retailers, um, which could allow them to be, th- this change to be potentially more disruptive than the DC change even was. So um, this is one of the things that was called out in the Bleeding Cool article, again, the initial one, it's notice, it's notable that Penguin Random House prides itself as a, quote, free freight distributor, 
unlike Diamond, so that all shipping charges will be absorbed in the orderable price of the comics. No additional shipping fees will be charged. So, as long as they don't try to ship through the Suez Canal right now. Hey. Hey. So obviously, that's a potential, you know, uh, major savings, especially if they start to work with all of these distributors and you can eliminate shipping charges from your, you know, your orders. That's a huge reason to go with Random House over over a diamond, right? Yeah. Um. So this was also something from Marvel's statement. They said that. Uh, they're free, you know, Random House is a free freight company allowing retailers to simplify their business models while allevi- alleviating the volatility and complexity of reducing freight costs and planning. Through many of Penguin Random House standard offers- offerings, like its rapid replenish- replenishment program, excuse me, for graphic novels and advanced supply chain, direct market retailers will experience more flexibility to manage inventory and stock their stores to best serve their customers. Mm. So, on top of that, uh, Penguin and Random House have talked quite a bit since then. Um, there was an article they did with Bleeding Cool where they answered like 53 questions for comic book retailers. We're not going to go through all of those. Um, but they've, they've been very transparent about kind of the things that are going to be different. But some of the kind of like headlines, uh, the, the stuff that's really interesting is that Random House is promising, um, again, like I said, free shipping, but also sales reps. Um, that could like work with them, uh, and you know, basically like all these like small perks that are are going to you know try to like sweeten, you know, sweeten the the experience. And they have this whole list of you know different um things that they bring to the to the table, right? Like, um, no opening order required for a limited time only. Um, improved search search functionality to be able to like search by keywords, title search or identifier, real-time stock availability updates, availability to see and filter all promotions that you are eligible for and add those promotions to your cart, estimated arrival dates and updated tracking information, uh, dedicated customer service rep who's assigned to specifically your account so you would have a rep for just your store. And maybe they work with a couple stores, but right, that's their job is dealing yeah, with yeah, you. Yeah. Um, so again, uh, low reorder minimums and no reorder or restocking fees, merchandising Dude. options, including displays and spinner racks that ship for free when you order, um, access to more than 15,000 newly published titles, uh, across 70 court, yeah, blah, 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 you know, just listing all the people they work with. So they, they've got a lot to offer over diamond. It sounds, um, yeah. Well, listen, I mean, this can't go understated, uh, the Penguin Random House is four times bigger than all its rivals combined when it comes to publishing. That's according to New Republic from when the merger happened. Right. So mm. this is analogous to like, so the, the NHL signed a contract with uh, NBC 10 years ago with its, its uh, exclusive rights to NBC to broadcast its games. Just this year, they renegotiated to sign with Disney so that their games can air on ESPN. And we all know how big ESPN is in the world of sports. It's going to help the exposure of that game significantly. That's what this feels like. It feels like Marvel and DC, you know, half a year ago at this point, went from NBC and Diamond to ESPN, you know, Penguin Random House. This is a (laughs) giant publisher. Even worse, it would be it's Diamond would be the equivalent of like UPN or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I wanted to uh, get a little bit of 
commentary here from from a shop owner that was quoted in the Bleeding Cool article. Uh, this is from Peter uh, Fisico. Fisco. Well, I can see why he chose a Peter. Fisico. Pete. Uh, sorry, Pete. Uh, he's <laughs> a Toronto-based retailer uh, behind all new comics. So he wrote in the Bleeding Cool comments uh, on this. He said, I've used Penguin Random House for trades as a test, and the discount they offer is 10% less than I get from Lunar or Diamond. While it's great they offer free shipping, so many times I have gotten damaged product and a lot of it. Penguin Random House actually shipping comics is scary because they have no idea how to ship trades properly. I would just stay with Diamond, much mm-hmm. less hassle for me. So that's that's a relevant uh, thing to bring up as well, right? Less experience, and that is something Diamond has been praised for, how they handle books. They are people who know comics, who love comics. Um that is a place where, where Random House is going to be behind, right? Like, they've never had to do this before. It's going to be a whole new thing for them. Um, but one of the things that, you know, again, was called out, right, is the, those customer representatives, which is something that apparently a number of store owners complain about lacking at Diamond. Um, and it's also a problem at Lunar, where you don't you don't have a rep, right? So having that one person at the distributor who you can, like, build a relationship with and go to complain to if you do get damaged product or whatever... Um, that will probably limit that pretty quickly, right? If they're promising that to all of their customers and they're getting all these complaints that stuff is busted and they need to, you know, re- reship stuff, whatever, like that'll help them kind of work out those kinks, you would imagine. Well, and and even on the the shop owner side, like you know, with the the no the no or low fee restocks and you know reorders or whatever like that surely that would make that way easier you would think that all of those things and right like maybe that's not the case none of us own a shop but you would think that all of those things eventually outweigh the fact that maybe diamond's giving you a slightly better discount you know yeah so there you know is kind of a conversation to be had about what this means for diamond and what this means for the industry moving forward and all of that but before we get into that, what is what is kind of your initial reaction to this news? You know, like when you first heard this, what w- what was your gut, you know, kind of thought? Down with Diamond. <laughs> Let's move to the future. Is is the future Penguin? The fa- I mean, the future is literally anything but Diamond. <laughs> the fact that Penguin Random House even has an online search function is light years away from diamond we talked about that years ago that diamond was supposed to be getting that i remember yeah yeah and and, you know we've we've talked you know a lot about diamond in the last year or so and about how you know like for all the good things you can say about them and for the things that you know like the um the ways in which that they've made it easier for like smaller publishers to to get placed in stores and all those kinds of things like there are benefits to diamond being the game in town but because they're the game in town, they're able to put have, up with any old shit. Yeah, they can they can have outdated technology. They cannot address uh, requests for for new features users want to see and all that kind of shit. So you know, that's uh, you know, it's kind of a give and take there. I just I I wonder how this will impact the future of comic books. Honestly, this is huge. This is. This is, I haven't, I haven't, you know, this year has really shaken and rattled the distribution of comics in a way that I can't think of an example like that before. 
between both DC and now Marvel. It just makes me wonder how this is all going to play I out. I mean, I, I legitimately think this is this year or like, you know, the past 20 months, whatever you want to say, right? Not 2021. Yeah. Um, has probably been the most disruptive time in the comics distribution industry since the development of the direct market in the 90s. I I have to imagine yeah. a company as big as Penguin Random House is going to be, you know, for all the fears people have about, you know, the... Uh, safety and delivery of parcel and stuff there's just got to be so much more efficiency with a company this size like they're a giant book publisher yeah like they they obviously have that infrastructure in place already yeah right and like it makes me wonder how they like they also in that new republic article i was talking about like uh they have they have these tools and resources to really promote like actual novels in ways that other publishers can't. So imagine if they allocate those resources towards comic books. Yeah. Like maybe you'd be able to actually promote like actual, you know, actual comic books. Well, and it, well, it, it gets interesting when you think about like the access that they have to non-traditional channels too. Like, could you see more comics, like single issue floppy comics, end up on the magazine rack in bookstores again? You know, could you see? Uh, that's that's where they are in Barnes and Noble. Oh, really? They have them? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. We're used to. I mean, it's been a yeah, while. Yeah, I haven't been to a Barnes and Noble, Noble in four or five. I years. usually do. I also haven't been ones. I, I went to one in the holidays, but they had some there. So okay, it's a lot of spinning racks, but yeah. they're not huge. That they have one spinning rack. And who's to say? Maybe that's something that you expand on like i know they often have like an uh an all ages or like a youth section where there's like toys and stuff like maybe you put some kids comics in there who's to say yeah um or or like maybe like some of the like school avenues right like like um you know like uh the book fair yeah like book fairs that kind of thing like that's not penguin but something yes classic does that but like yeah yeah, Yeah. something akin to that right like those more traditional avenues for for book uh channels like maybe maybe they start seeing ways yeah. they can leverage those for comics too well books are promoted through like major newspapers too that people read like there's a certain mm-hmm. class element of that because certainly there's a certain type of person that reads stuff like the new york times but you know if you're starting to promote you know certain comic books there that's a different avenue to get a different type of audience to read potentially yeah just a thought well and even i mean even just the broad you know the broad scope of comics in the past 10 years alone, you know, with the, the Marvel films and, and everything that's come from that, like they're huge. So even, even like the downsides of penguin random house doing all this, like, you know, that Toronto shop owner said, like, you have to imagine with the amount of, money and 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 resources that penguin random house can put into it they'll be incentivized to do that and to get more books in hands yes you know and to make it good yeah i i think that's a strong point to be made kale right like the the example i pulled from um from uh peter from the the toronto shop right like he was talking about how he he was working with them with their their current model for like trades or whatever and like that he was doing that as like a test right well like that's not really fair to compare right like what they're currently doing for books that are 
you know, going to the direct market are not supposed to be going to shops. They're supposed to be going to like bookstores or whatever, right? And like you can have that kind of interaction with them, but like the actual launch of them being the direct market person for Marvel is in October, right? Like they're yeah. they're building a new warehouse that's near Diamond Central Distribution Center. That's one of the things that was in the article. They're like hiring new people. They're building this new arm of their business. And to Kale's point, right? Like you don't get into this business unless you think that there's money to be made. And obviously being the per- the way to get Marvel Comics great business right you can make a ton of money that way if they start doing that for everybody if they do it for your dcs and your images and your dark horses and you know these other companies that they already work with um that a becomes a lot bigger chunk of money and grows their business in a really significant way but to your point kale right the more that they're in this industry and the more that they interact with shop owners the more that they get feedback the more that they see you know, how this progresses or whatever, the better they can improve the service and the more incentive they have to improve the service because the better you can make it and the more that you can attract your DCs and your dark horses and whoever else to make the switch, the more money in your pocket. And if they can all of a sudden just replace Diamond where they're the de facto, we ship all the fucking comic books that get made, that's a huge, huge fucking boon for them. I didn't even realize. So in, in November 2020, the New York Times reported that Penguin uh, Random House was working on acquiring Simon and Schuster from Viacom CBS. I remember that. And the deal is dependent on an approval of international regulators, but that's that's a giant conglomeration of, of publishers. Like the merger of Penguin Group and Random House was already something huge, but yeah. to acquire another giant distributor of books of publishing, like th- this is like. Disney working with Disney. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> you know what it, I mean? It's interesting though because, and I can I can hear the ghost of Sean in the back of my head from previous conversations here, right? Like, and this is something I remember him bringing up in the um the original, maybe not the original, but the last time we really dug into mm. this diamond thing, right? Is that like the idea of there being multiple horses in this race? It's actually healthier for the industry. I'm aware that capitalism is a fucking bitch. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> Uh, well, I'm just saying you have a longer tentacle now. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I, I, I'm with you, right? We all know how media consolidation uh, makes me and Phil feel. We always freak out about it a little bit. It's bad. It is bad. But with books and, and publications in general, it's not as bad because there just isn't the same market demand. And the the merging of those companies is more and more out of necessity Yes, it's then, happening because they're not making a lot of money anyway because of yeah. no one's reading books. Right, and like there isn't space for there to be that many big competing book publishers. Yeah, in the same way that we talked about Diamond, right? There isn't really space for there to be two Diamonds, you know. Um, <clears throat> so I mean, I think if anything, right? Like, I think we might be looking at them just coming up and gobbling up Diamond's business and making it a part of what they do because. That's an inter- that's an interesting wrinkle, and I think that's pretty plausible. So let's let's talk about that. So uh, this jumping back over to some of the bleeding cool stuff, right? Um, what what does this mean for Diamond? Right? You think about it. In the last year, uh, they've lost DC Comics totally. Yeah. yeah, they are about to get far far smaller margins on Marvel Comics if they're distributing them at all. Yeah. Um, so like, what's that? 
Let's not leave them. Yeah. So then, you know, figures. We're we're at a point where like, are, are sure like figures and games and like they distribute other things, but like Marvel and DC are like seventy percent of their business. You know, yeah, like yeah. that's a huge hit. Um. And granted, like, we don't know. Like, we don't know the full ramifications of how the Diamond-Penguin thing is going to play out. It might be fine for them. They might lose some money, but it might not be enough to fucking throw them under. But, you know, you don't know. They can always distribute Comics Pals episodes. Give us a call, Steve. <laughs> um, speaking of, uh, I do have a quote from Steve Gappy, uh, boss over at Diamond. Uh, it, it's, it was a couple paragraphs long. I'm just pulling the the juiciest bit um so he said today marvel announced a new arrangement for comics trades and graphic novels going to the direct market starting with product on sale october 1st uh, diamond will purchase these marvel products from penguin random house as a wholesaler rather than distributing them directly from marvel this change represents a behind the scenes shift in how we obtain these products for distribution but it does not impact our ability to supply marvel comics trades and graphic novels worldwide and we are pleased that we will continue selling these products to the direct market Right, and you audio listeners can't see Kale's face, but uh, he looks like he's sucking on a lemon. And I gotta, I gotta agree with him. I mean, I I know for a fact that their worldwide distribution fucking sucks. So I doubt this will be uh, <laughs> as small of a dent as he's making it. And yeah, and and not to mention, right, that like, frankly, we don't know the ramifications of this yet. And granted, right, like he might be pervy to information that we that we don't have. Like that that's well, sure, yeah. But sure, yes, that's the nature of it. Right. But that being said, I don't know, man. That seems really like bullish. That feels like the thing that you say when you get the bad news and you're like, Don't worry, it's fine. We got this. And it's like, yeah. Ah, but do you? Cause Again, there are these other things. There's these other publishers, but like, what other business can you think of where all of a sudden, say it's not seventy, say it's forty percent, say it's fifty percent of your revenue is just gone overnight? Like, I don't know, dude. I mean, maybe they can make some money off all these Funko Pops they keep shipping to comic book stores, and I think even that stuff, though, right? Like, you you hit a point where it's like, oh uh, yeah. You do. I, I just I Diamond. don't I don't know that you can ship enough of that stuff to make it back. Especially because like to that point, right, Kale? Uh, and I know I you're, don't, you're I, don't, I, know I know you're being know facetious. Funko Pops. <laughs> but but again, like stay with Funko Pops as an example. If if Diamond was the only one distributing them and the only place you could get them was comic book stores, fine. Yeah, I'd say they probably have a they have a feature in this business. You can go get them at a GameStop, at a Target, at a Walgreens, at... at a station. Anywhere. Yeah, it's like fucking 7-Eleven has Funko Pops. Like, you don't... You know what I mean? Like, it's yep. the stuff that they have, you know, a quote-unquote corner on, they don't have a corner on. Because, like, even games and cards and all that stuff. I can go buy Magic the Gathering cards at a Target. I can go get, you know, whatever fucking board game I want or whatever from the publisher of the board game directly on their website. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot more people probably do that shit than you would think, you know? If you're already a games and cards and, and that's part of your life and you go to those shops, then that's where you get your shit, right? No doubt. Um, that's where I usually buy those things. I try to shop local, but like, mm -hmm. I'm a fucking dork and I've been inundated in this shit for like 10 years. If you're just some yeah. person who wants to buy 
betrayal at the house on the hill like you're gonna get that on amazon not yeah a comic book store so i don't know Diamonds fucked. i think they are i think they really might be good so uh a few other wrinkles here that i thought were interesting um unlike dc marvel sticking to wednesdays uh makes sense to me i suppose they don't need to come out the same day though that's going to be annoying for readers because and retailers and retailers but uh well this uh, this isn't marvel changing dc is the one that changed marvel right didn't still on dc yeah marvel's marvel's like no we're the good guys see (laughs) you can still go through diamond if you want yeah they joined penguin random house they didn't start up their own bullshit company that (laughs) yeah i mean marvel looks like so much less bad in comparison to because of the timing of it too it's not like in it's not like three weeks into the pandemic (laughs) like (laughs) yeah Yeah. uh so there, there, there were some comments from uh morgan perry that i wanted to pull in that i thought were interesting uh morgan is the um retail sales lead over at boom and uh like is like always like you know tweeting about like sales data and stuff like that um and and they, they said a few things i thought were interesting they said this is major more so than dc switch to lunar imo the key takeaways are you know that they can still order and blah 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 right we, we went over that stuff but here, here was where they, they got into some, some more interesting stuff. Um, having additional distribution models isn't a bad thing. Is it more work for comic shops? Yes, but independent bookstores have been working with multiple distributors for years. Having competition creates a need to develop, develop better customer service practices, benefits, and terms. This is going to change a lot of things. How it changes them, we will have to wait and see. So free freight is on the table for retailers. What does this mean? Most comic shops will find this appealing as freight and shipping and other distributors, I'm sorry, appealing as freight slash shipping at other distributors has been a sticking point. This could broaden the the distribution for periodicals to indie bookstores. And that is something that, again, I thought was interesting because we talked about that, right? Is this idea of, you know, could this be uh, an avenue for comics to get in new places could independent bookstores now have a comic section if they wanted to could your local indie bookstore uh start having a a rack with floppies on it is is that a viable solution for them Uh, real question to me is um how much does that matter i don't know i don't know how many indie bookstores there are there's several in every city but you know how many are there in where kale grew up for instance Sure. But I guess the question is like there is one. Yeah, <laughs> right. And maybe there's not. But like in in to your point, there there are they exist in cities. You know, and there I know that there are two within walking distance of, of me in my neighborhood. Um you, you have the opportunity to grow a niche market to another niche market, I guess. You can overlap that a little yeah. bit. But I don't know. know that that moves the needle, but it's also like when you're talking comics and periodical sales right like a few thousand extra could matter that does matter kind of Mm -hmm. well and you have to you have to imagine that if it's easier for comic store owners to get the product and and deal with the other people behind the scenes they'll be more inclined to push the product and and you know order more and you know use the systems you have in place to make it move the needle, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, and I mean, you know, to to the some of the points we've been circling around, right? Like the idea that you potentially are getting more support and you have more resources or not even that you have more resources, but because you have support that you weren't getting from Diamond, there's less work for you to do, which gives you more time to, you know, go through the trouble of like having a featured section in your shop. And, and you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it, it I, and this is all wild speculation, right? Sure. None of us have ever owned a shop, you know, if so you're a far. shop owner and you think we're talking out of our ass, I'd love to have you on the show and you can tell us what you think about it. No, that's um, an idea. But but my thought is that like if if all of the the promise of what Marvel and, and Penguin think they can deliver better than Diamond with this new system, it it could potentially be something that really does benefit stores in the long run because they're just getting they're getting a better service for the same investment, you know, and that like if we do see more and more of, of the big publishers move over um, that you could see those same breaks that, that you get on diamond um, with penguin, you know, I guess the question is going to be how, how inclined is penguin to work with small, small publishers, right? Like yeah. it behooves them to work with a dark horse or an image or a boom or whatever. But like, what about, you know, uh, an ahoy, right. Or like, yeah. uh, uh, I don't know, like, a, I'm trying to think of somebody else in that kind of, that level. Black Mask or Vault? Sure, sure, yeah, Black Mask, Vault, like, you know, uh, any of those kinds of, like, smaller to mid-level indie publishers that, you know, don't have the same uh, cachet or don't have, you know, the all these licensed books and whatever that, like, you know, are, are incentives to for them to work with them, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing that's worth talking about is, you know, since DC drifted from, you know, uh, Diamond a year ago now, pretty much. I think that was about April that happened. Um, yeah. How much have we noticed an improvement in their sales of both floppies and graphic novels? I, I don't know if it's been that much better. I could be wrong. It's tough. I know it's only been a year, but I'm just saying. I think I think the thing with that is it's only been a year right so that's that's a pretty you know yeah it's a small data sample but it's also hard to judge because it's not like they made this shift and changed nothing else they made and this shift also, and had a, a a line refresh yeah and increased the prices of their books during the global shuffling. pandemic i'm sorry yeah i said and creative shuffling and yeah, yeah. we're in a global pandemic where frankly everything's hurting and, and, and they're, changed their shipping day right well that too yeah and, the, point. and their solution to that was like well, what if we charged you more money for basically the same product yeah, yeah. right so like oh well, not even i mean you don't even have the star caliber on the books anymore and raise the prices that's true too so i mean like that's the thing right it's like all of those things it would impact sales so it's hard to look at the shift and be like oh yes this that's a good point this data means anything right because it's like like from so many variables well, for my money, I think the big thing here is there's, it behooves Penguin to use that uh, advertising arm they have to try to promote these books that, in a way that Diamond couldn't. Yeah. So even even if we're talking about these books showing up in, in local bookstores and stuff like that and, and uh, the degree of successfulness that has, the real thing that'll be interesting is, A, how will this impact Marvel's publishing of books? Like, do they do they change how they even start releasing books from an editorial level? I don't know. And 
how does Penguin promote them? Mm. These are two big questions in my mind. Yeah, yeah, and, and how do we see Penguin's offerings and services continue to evolve? You yeah. Know? Because what they're offering today is this is this is Gen 1, right? This is the first attempt at it. You got to imagine... Yeah, they got to see how the data comes back in a year or two. 6, 12, 18 months down the line, like yeah. they might... They might realize a lot about about the market and the industry and be able to make adjustments that make it an even better deal or even more efficient you know and mm. who's to say right yeah exactly so i mean one that i'm sure we're going to talk about more uh just like we did with dc in the months and years to come um but yeah october 1st is going to be when everything really starts to change so we've got a few you know a few months between now and then for for more to become clear to us and for us to get a better understanding of how this is going to affect shop owners and us as, as consumers. Um, because that's really what's going to end up, you know, being kind of the, the deciding factor and how relevant this all is, right. Is, you know, how do, how does the market respond? So, uh, I'm interested to see, I think it's, it's definitely, uh, another major shakeup in the world of comics. And I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, a couple years from now, we look back on on this period, this year or so, and and think about this as kind of the end of an era. Could be good? Question mark. I hope it's good. So, um, to you listeners at home, let us know what you thought. Uh, there's a number of ways you can get in touch. You can come join our Discord. We've got an ever growing community of comic readers just like you talking about this and everything else going on in the world of comics and TV and movies and video games and all kinds of stuff. So if you're looking for some, you know, fucking dorks to come chat with and uh, connect with, we have a nice community and uh, we kick out assholes. So if you're cool and you want to come rock prejudice with prejudice, with extreme prejudice. Uh, So if you want to come and rock with a group of fun, understanding and accepting nerds, uh, you can come join our discord and chat with us. Uh, you can also write into us at the comicspals at gmail.com and get your thoughts right on the air about this or any of the other stories that we discussed this week. Um, so yeah, let us know what you think about this shakeup and you know what you think it means for the future of Marvel and comic as a whole. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, and then of course, you know, at the top, I <laughs> promoted about a dozen other products that we have up in the air right now. You can go check uh, out episode one of We Watched Invincible, where we reviewed the first three episodes of uh, the Invincible animated series from Amazon Prime. Um, we've got tomorrow our Invincible book club for issues zero through thirty-five. Um, the first couple arcs of the book, so you're going to want to go and check that out as well. We, of course, also dropped uh, We Watched Falcon and Winter Soldier for Episode 2. And then we've also got our comic book reviews this week, where we checked out Alien Number 1 and Ultra Mega Number 1 um, from Image uh, and Skybound. So if any of that sounds like it's up your alley, I hope you'll give us a like, a share, a subscribe, and go check all that cool stuff out. Uh, of course, we've also got a huge library of other content for you. So if you want to go hear our thoughts on the Snyder Cut or go check out our, you know, archive of book clubs where we've probably covered one of your favorite books, um, we've got you covered. So I hope you'll uh, keep tuning in and keep rocking with us. Um, yeah, so we've been the Comics Pals. We'll catch you next week. Take care, guys. Adios. No plugs this week, huh? <laughs> oh, right. Plugs. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Ha 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 ha!